0: The Profile
1: You're listening to Premier Christian Radio A very good afternoon to you and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, your host for today. This is the show where we interview interesting Christians from around the world about their life, their faith and their testimony. And I'm pleased to say we have not one but two interviews coming up for you this afternoon right here on Premier Christian Radio and also on The Profile podcast available around the world. First up, Premier Simon Tuck has been speaking to the multi-award winning Nashville-based country music star Josh Turner. Josh Turner is signed to MCA Nashville Records and has released a number of albums, including Long Black Train, Your Man and Everything is Fine. His seventh studio album is entitled I Serve a Saviour and was released this past October. Without any further ado, let's listen in to Simon Tuck in conversation with Josh Turner.
2: Lovely to have you here Um, talking about not only your album, but a little bit of um, history there as well. Country music always part of what the family's been about?
3: Uh yeah, in in a certain ways, yeah, you know, um my my daddy's mama, I called her Granny, um she had a huge record collection in her house full of southern gospel and country and bluegrass and you know, just really rootsy Americana type stuff. Um and so that really kind of laid the musical foundation for me outside of church and uh and the the, really the only album I remember my daddy having when I was young was uh, like a Hank Williams greatest hits vinyl record and, and I just remember you know loving that that record I still have it um, and uh, and so yeah, you know it it's I, I grew up in a tobacco farming community in South Carolina. Um, you know I just uh, grew up in that rural lifestyle. And so the country music that I was hearing on the radio really kind of served as a soundtrack for my life. And then as I started getting older, I started digging into the older country music. And the only real way I could find um, that music was to go to antique stores and rummage through old vinyl records. And so that, that was when I discovered artists like you know, Loretta Lynn and Johnny Cash and, and Waylon Jennings and Roger Miller. And, you know, the list goes on and on. Ernest Tubb. Um, and, and so I just, that really, um, kind of sparked a passion in me. I, I, you know, and, and Randy Travis was, um, you know, he had just come on the scene when, you know, I was, I was young and, and I just, uh, I don't know. He just looked like it looked and sounded like a guy who could be living next door to me, <clears throat> and so he he really um, made a difference in me. Uh, really had an influence and really kind of inspired me to pursue this a, as a career. And so uh, I've gotten to know Randy well over the years. Not only is he my hero, but he's become a friend of mine. And um, so I've, I've learned a lot from him and uh, John Anderson and just you know a lot of my heroes.
2: So, family musical in the sense of playing instruments?
3: Uh, not really. Uh, the only instruments really were just kind of church-oriented. You know, my my grandmama played the piano. My mama kind of dabbled in piano and guitar, but I never, I've never seen her play a guitar. Um, but what's interesting is that when I started to become passionate about singing country music, my granddaddy was at my house one day, and he said, Josh, you know, all these songs you've been singing, I, he, he said, it'd be good if you were, you know, learned how to play guitar, you know, while you're up there singing. And I'm like, I'm never going to learn how to play guitar. And and so he got up off the couch, he went to the back of my house, and I had no idea what he was doing, but he went in uh, my mama's closet where she had her old guitar, which I don't even think I even knew it was in there, and didn't have any strings on it or anything, and he... I see him walking out of the house with the guitar in his hand. He never said bye. He never said never <laughs> never said a word to me. Well, then he comes back the next day. He had taken the guitar to town and gotten strings put on it. He had gotten a case for it, you know, and he had gotten a, like a little Mel Bay guitar instruction booklet and uh, and gave it to me. And he said, "Here, you know, learn how to play it." And that's how I learned how to play guitar. Wow. And so, um, but no, none of my friends played any instruments. Um, the, the first time I really played with the band was after I got a record deal.
2: <laughs> I love your song. Um, is it called white noise where you yeah. talk about everyone else has got their rap music, but I've got my, yeah, I've got my country. <laughs> yeah.
3: <so>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a fun song, uh, duet with John Anderson. And, um, I don't know. I had, uh, I'd gotten that idea one day I was listening to, uh, like a live Ernest Tubb record from 1965. And, uh, I don't know why that inspired that title, but it just, it, you know, I had always heard the term white noise and, you know, I was, and I had always thought about how people always called country music, the white man's blues. And, um, and I, so that was really kind of the inspiration behind it. And so John Anderson and I sat down and, and wrote that song, you know, in a very short amount of time. And he came in and sang it, uh, you know, as a duet with me on it. And it's just it's just a really fun song.
2: Who has been the person
3: you would most like to still duet with? Oh, um, I've sung with a lot of my heroes. um, I'd I'd love to do something with you know Lyle Lovett one day. Um, man, uh, I'm just trying to think. I've, like I say, I've, I've done you know a lot of stuff, and sadly, you know, some of the guys and girls are you know passed on. But um, you know, somebody like Willie Nelson, maybe um, while he's still around. I don't know. It's just uh, there's there's a few out there.
2: We're living in the day of holograms you could actually have a hologram <laughs> of your favorite artist
3: doing a duet with yeah that's that's very true i don't know if i have the budget for that but
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's uh, where does faith lie with the music was it an early age i mean you sound like you went to church anyway at a very early age anyway but there must have been a moment surely or was it a gradual change
3: um you know yeah i grew up in church um and uh but you know, I don't attribute that, um, as being the sole reason for, you know, why I believe what I believe. Um, you know, as a Christian, you know, my faith comes from my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, whether I'm in a church or not, uh, that governs how I live my life personally and professionally. And I can't, I can't separate the two. Um, I don't feel like I should, um, because as long as I have Jesus within me, um, you know, people are going to see that and hear that within me. And so, um, I've always, I've always loved country music and, uh, and I love, you know, a lot of things about country music, you know, I've, I've, I've appreciated the drinking songs and the cheating songs and all that kind of stuff. But when I got my record deal and I started making my own records, um, I just felt really convicted about, you know, being really careful about the words that I sing because people listen and they, they take it to heart and it influences them. And so I I wanted to be, um, just real conscious about what I sing and how I sing it. And so that, that's always been at the forefront of my mind, um, and so, you know, I, I love telling the stories and I and I've always said too that, you know, one of the main things I love about country music is it allows me to sing about anything I want to sing about. Yeah. Um, but even still for me anyway, I feel like there's a standard, you know, that I that I work by and I live by. Um and that comes from my faith.
2: Yeah, and storytelling is very much what country music is about isn't it so it's that beginning and end and that middle and just enabling people to go on a journey with you whether it's against that cheating woman or it's about this or that or whatever so
3: yeah and there was a trend there for a while in country music where um they would always you know a lot of a lot of records would have you know a gospel song at the end uh, it would be the last track on the record and i always felt that felt like that was just kind of cheesy and it and it was weird um and, you know, and I've had, I've had some faith-based songs on my my record, but I wanted to incorporate them as part of the record. I didn't want it to just be an add-on, you know. Um, I felt like, if anything, it, sh- it should, you know, have credibility and have its own, you know, weight. Um, and so, like I say, when I ended up cutting this record, um, you know, same thing, I-, I wanted each and every song to really have some some depth and some meat to it. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's something I've always taken seriously, um, you know, whether I'm making a country record or, or not.
2: For the uninitiated of us, the difference between country and Southern Gospel sounds like it's practically the same thing, isn't it? Uh,
3: somewhat. Um, southern Gospel kind of has a certain uh sound to it it's uh it it's like for lack of a better term i'm trying to think of how i could could describe this i i guess it's like energetic church music <laughs> for country people um and that's pretty much what it is and and you've got a lot of uh you know harmonies going on there's a lot of quartets um my like i say my granny she had a lot of records of of southern gospel quartets and and stuff like that so there was always that element of people singing together um so so yeah which is you know that's how the gaithers have have become so successful is because they have people singing together it's always the collaboration the community aspect of it um so that and just uh you know, the the lyrics and the the style of the songs, I think, really kind of makes Southern Gospel what it is.
2: You talked about the Gaithers. Uh, did you approach them? Did they approach you when you've worked together?
3: Um, that was something that actually, they had been kind of talking with my label about, you know, doing a project. And then when uh they started talking about what kind of project they wanted to do they had uh mentioned me and and they they knew my reputation and they got really excited about that and so they came on board and um, and i was so thrilled that they did because um like i say they've just been a pleasure to work with have they
2: influenced what you do what you've done now since working with them
3: um yeah i think so i mean like i say just meeting bill gaither is just you can see how he runs his business and he's he's very serious-minded about what he does too and and he's had a lot of success doing what he's doing and uh and he he realizes that he's not just in the music business he's in the people business and and so you can tell that just you know from the first time you ever speak to him or even just watching him on tv or listening to him on a record he's uh he's just got that Really down to earth, approachable kind of personality, and so um, you know, yeah, it's definitely something I can learn from.
2: Now, you uh, obviously love recording albums because this is your sixth album. I serve a savior. The seventh, seventh. Oh my, <laughs> yeah, my yeah. So
3: ninth, if you include my two live records. Uh, yes, <laughs> live better than
2: <laughs> the recorded.
3: Uh, not in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Do you prefer? playing out live though because then you get to see the reaction of the the people who bought your
3: yeah you know i can't really compare the two honestly um you know when i go out and play live i realize that it's going to be imperfect because there's never going to be a perfect live performance ever um and so but the 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 imperfect nature of it i think is is the beauty of it you know people can can really kind of get a picture of you know who you are and, and what you're about and how talented you are um but uh, for me, you know, when I go into studio, it's, it's all about refinement. I want to make the song as best, as, as, as good as it possibly can be. Um, you know, I want to get the best musicians. I want to have the best producer, you know, the, the best studio, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I want to sing it, you know, as, as good as I possibly can. Um, and, uh, and so I, I just, you can get in there and you can really just kind of work on making the song Uh, really what it's supposed to be. And you can't always do that live. You don't have the the means or the ability to do that always live.
2: We'll go back to the concerts in just a moment, live. But how much... You obviously sound like you're an amazing perfectionist. Do you spend... Does somebody have to go, Josh, could you just now walk away? It's okay. It's good. It's brilliant. Or are you that person that says, no, I'm just going to keep on?
3: Uh... I'm not that kind of perfectionist. It's weird because I am a perfectionist, but like I know when to stop. Okay. And I always have and I but I know people who don't know when to stop. I I wrote with uh Mac Davis, you know, one time and uh and you know, he's written several Elvis songs including In the Ghetto. And he, he, he told me when we were writing together, he said, I still don't feel like I, uh, in the ghetto is finished. <laughs> he said, I still want to make some changes to it. Um, so I'm, I'm not that level of perfectionist. Uh, I, I, I want to get in there and I want to get it right. And, you know, I don't want to waste my time doing it. And so when I get it right, I can walk away and, um, you know, so yeah, I, I, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of a quick learner on things, so it's and and I get bored easily too. So I don't want to spend you know every waking minute just working and working and working and changing things. So,
2: is there a song you go back there and revisit from your last seven or nine albums?
3: Um, no. I mean, the only thing that kind of bugs me is that you know hearing me sing from all those years ago yeah. when I was young and when my voice was still kind of maturing, you know, I feel like my voice is better now than it was back then. Um, so there's, there's some things vocally that I would probably go back and re-sing, <laughs> you know, but, um, but it's funny, the fans love the original versions of these yeah. songs. It doesn't matter, you know, how old I was when I did it.
2: So let's go to, let's talk live and then we'll talk about Long Black Train. Okay, so the song that the fans love the most when you play it live, is it Long Black Train?
3: Um, there's, you can't compare some of these songs. Okay. Uh, Long Black Train, definitely. Um, why Don't We Just Dance is always a fun Your Man, uh, just because of how you know successful it's been. Your Man kind of, it was my first number one hit and it was a popular song but then when it started being sung on just about every tv talent show uh that was when it really took off because um we actually back when i took video and and production that kind of production out on the road we actually um did an intro for that song and we just did like this video montage this you know just clip after clip of you know, these people doing that song on these, you know, talent shows, and it was crazy, because we couldn't even include them all, I mean, because there were so many, I mean, there was even, uh, one from The Voice, uh, in Mongolia, and, which I didn't even know Mongolia had a, a version of The Voice, um, but yeah, I mean, I just... I think there was one from Portugal, too, and, and, you know, American Idol. And, you know, I mean, just one thing after the other. Just I don't know why they gravitate towards doing that song, but that's just the one they pick. It's very honouring, though. It is. To you, because
2: they're saying, we like you, we like your song, we want to cover it. And that seems to be there. Is there a song when you play live that it just is so overwhelming when the crowd sing back?
3: Uh, yeah yeah like I say you know those those three especially um, you know I think you know have the biggest impact
2: which is brilliant let's let's talk about the album then um, you're you've revisited um, Long Black Train again for as a live version of it mm-hmm. why should you do that
3: uh, well I've kind of touched on it already you know I, I didn't feel like you know putting the original on this record made any sense because my voice has matured and changed, you know, since the original, cause it's been so many years. Um, so I, I just felt like the song deserved a, a new treatment. Um, and obviously it's, it's never gonna, you know, equal the, the original, but I felt like it was a great version, especially for a, for a live version. Um, you know, so I, I just felt like it'd be kind of cool to just put a new fresh version on there.
2: You've written four of the tracks off this particular album. Which one of those would you say that you are, that was the most challenging to write?
3: Um, I don't know if any of them were really challenging. Um, you know, coming up with the arrangement for I saw the light was a little bit of a challenge. Um, but then when I finally figured it out, you know, it was pretty easy. It came to me literally within about five minutes. Um, and then the one that I wrote from the ground up was uh, was "I Serve a Savior." The title track I wrote that with a buddy of mine, Mark Norrmor, and uh, he and I have written tons of songs together. And it's all he when he and I get together, it's always a pretty easy process because we just we really understand each other, and there's 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 no guesswork involved. It it just uh, we get in there and we really kind of get down to the heart of the song and and we don't quit until it's right. Um, and the ironic thing about I serve a savior is I actually, that was the last song that I wrote in preparation for my deep South record. So it wasn't, wasn't even written, you know, with a gospel record in mind. So when I, when the gospel record came about, I started looking at songs that I had written and that was the first song that I came across. And I'm when I heard it I'm like this is perfect for this gospel record and so you know we cut it and then it ended up being the title track so
2: the there must have been a load of songs that didn't make it to the album is there some stuff on the back burner for for another one
3: yeah there's there's plenty to choose from um you know so it, it which is a good good problem to have but uh but yeah there there was quite a few that uh you know we had considered that that didn't make it um just as i am is is one of those songs um but uh but yeah you know, and i'm i'm sure i'll I'll end up writing some more too, so
2: you brought a freshness to a number of familiar hymns um at how great there are, great is your faithfulness and amazing grace, what other what other hymn are you inspired by? Do, do you say just as I am just then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, would that be the another one of those that you'd want to bring a freshness to?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, so if I if, if it comes to that, you know, I'm gonna try to live with it and spend some time with it and really kinda dig into whatever song it is, um, to really try to make it mine. That's that's another thing that I've really learned from my heroes and I and I I haven't always been good at that. Um Throughout my career, but I feel like the more experience that I have and the older I get, um, and the more things I learn, uh, the more I figure out how to make songs mine. And, you know, cause I've always been somewhat of a mockingbird because the way I learned to sing, um, was really copying you know, my heroes, I would try to sound exactly like them. You know, I'd try to sound like Ronnie Dunn. I'd try to sound like Clint Black. I'd try to sing like Randy Travis and John Anderson. And and so that that mimicry was how I learned how to get as good as I am now um, because I didn't just try to sing one way. I was always trying to, you know, sing like other people. And then, um, you know, when I started writing my own songs, I didn't have another artist to base it on. It was, it had to come from me solely. And, um, and so that was when I really kind of discovered my own sound. And so I've just been trying to, you know, just hone that, um, you know, ever since. So
2: you brought some family on board to sing with you on
3: this particular album.
2: Have they sung with you before?
3: Not. On a record, uh well, I take that back, but yes, they have um it was actually on my my punching bag record uh there was a song called "Find me a Baby that uh my wife and my three oldest boys uh sang on um they did the little na na-na, na 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 part um on that uh which was cool but um so yeah, I guess this technically would be their their second time doing this uh and, but it also includes our our fourth son um you know cuz he wasn't born back then w- during the punching bag record but yeah they you know one of my f- f- i probably probably one of my favorite moments from my career is is seeing them perform this on the DVD on on the live performance uh <laughs> it's just i'm so glad that I didn't get up there with them i just wanted them to do it on their own um Jennifer's playing piano and singing with them and just seeing the four of them standing there singing together is just like, as a father, it's just, you know, it's, it's a pretty proud moment. Because what your granddad did to
2: you, mm-hmm. you've done for your children, which missed your your sort of mum's era there, even though she'd tried it there. So it must yeah. be amazing.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and, and like I say, my mama never really, you know, continued her piano playing or her guitar playing. Um, and she, she sang a lot in church. She was in the choir. She sang a lot of solos. Um, one of the songs that she sang seemed like all the time was a song called the master's hand. And, uh, and so we even had like a, a picture of, you know, like the sheet music and the, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, from the master's hand on, on the wall in our house. Uh, so it was always like, you know, I couldn't escape that song. Um, but yeah, she, I don't know, I don't know if she ever thought about singing for a living or anything. If she did, I never knew about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she, she, she and my daddy both, they really kind of pushed me once they realized that I had a talent to sing and had a passion for it. The ironic thing is not I, did, I didn't want to go out and sing in front of people. I, I was terrified of that, but they pushed me to go out and, and sing at beauty pageants and ball games and private parties and, you know, anywhere that, Somebody needed entertainment. They were pushing me to get out there in front of them. And then she, during my junior year of high school, um, she actually pushed me to go and audition for a, a, a country show in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And it was a—it's the oldest show in Myrtle Beach. Um, it's a—it's an open-air amphitheater right on the beach, and it's called High Step Country. And so they would sing and dance and do all different styles of music the first half of the show was all country music. And then the back half was, you know, gospel and like fifties rock and roll. And, you know, uh, Broadway, you know, show tunes kind of thing. And so it was, uh, it was a pretty eclectic show, but it, that was the show that really kind of taught me how to perform because every, cr- like we'd do three shows a week and every crowd would be different. You'd have some that would just kind of sit there and, you know, stare a hole through you. And then there'd be other ones, they'd be up dancing in the aisle, you know? So it, it just kind of helped me um, you know kind of adapt to each and every crowd you're
1: listening to the profile here on premier christian radio i'm sam Hales, your host for today's show we've got not one but two interviews for you today you were just hearing simon tuck in conversation with josh turner but stick around we've got another great interview coming up for you right after this Join me, Justin Briley, for a new season of The Big Conversation with world-class thinkers,
2: including Sir Roger Penrose and William Lane Craig on God and the Universe, Bart Ehrman and Peter J. Williams on Jesus and the Gospels. Join the conversation
1: as we explore life's biggest questions at thebigconversation.show Do you want to stay informed on the best of what's happening in the UK church today? Premier Christianity magazine is for you. The UK's leading Christian magazine is published every month and features interviews with Christian leaders, in-depth reporting, reviews, columnists and loads more. And best of all, you can try it for free. Head to our website now to request the latest edition worth £5.95, completely free of charge.
4: Visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free
1: sample. Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, your host for today's show. You were just hearing Simon Tuck in conversation with the country music star, Josh Turner. But now, something a little bit different for you. We've dug back into the archives for the second part of today's show. This first aired on Premier Christian Radio a number of years ago, but it's never aired on The Profile podcast before. And it's a great conversation between Premier's Maria Rodriguez and Pippa Gumble, the author of a daily Bible commentary, Bible in a Year, which she puts together with her husband, Nicky Gumble. Nicky and Pippa Gumble are of course well known for pioneering the Alpha Course and for pastoring Holy Trinity Brompton here in London. So Maria wanted to sit down with Pippa Gumble and find out more about her life. Let's have a listen in.
4: Well, Pippa, welcome to the programme. It's great to have you with us today. It's lovely to be here. Now Pippa, I'd like to go back and find out what life was like for you when you were a little girl growing up. But did you go to church? Was church part of your life?
0: Yes, I did go to church. Um, my parents took me regularly to church. And actually, I went to a convent school for some of the years of, of schooling. And there, there we had church all the time. And, and of course, it, I would have said I was a Christian, but I understood nothing about the Christian faith. It probably gave me um, some sort of deep foundations But I didn't understand until I was 18 that you could have a relationship with God and that was when it changed my life.
4: So I guess in a sense these sort of values and a sense of perhaps morality was being instilled in you but that relationship with God hadn't actually sort of come into being. Yes. So what happened when you were 18
0: then? I knew Nicky then he wasn't my husband or a boyfriend but he was a friend I knew him well and he went off to university and during his second term there was a mission there And he became a Christian. I mean, he and he and quite a lot of his friends, it was a wonderful mission where a lot of them became Christians. And when I next saw him at a party, he was sort of running around with tracks in his pocket (laughs) pocket, trying to convert everybody. And I thought he'd gone absolutely mad. Um, And I thought I'd actually back off and keep a little bit away from him because I didn't know what he was up to, but it didn't seem normal to me. And then I was working with somebody and she suggested that I went and visited her sister who was working in something called The Kitchen. And it was an informal place. They'd converted a garage. It was a place where you could drop in, have homemade bread and soup, and people were gathering. And I didn't realise they were Christians. I thought they were just nice people getting together. (laughs) I was a real sucker. And I sort of went in, thought they were nice. And actually... There was something different about these people. I knew that. The world I was living in was pretty superficial. The relationships were shallow. And actually, I was pretty empty when I started going along there. And I could see in them. These people loved me for who I was. There was a different attitude and atmosphere there. And so I just kept going back to this place. And then somebody opened the Bible one day with me. And we read John 10.10. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life with all his fullness. And I thought, yes, that's what I want.
4: And at that moment, did you have a sense of, well, I need to go to church now? Did you understand what the next step was?
0: No, I don't think I understood at all, actually. I went back and prayed. I remember I was staying in, I was sharing a flat with some people, and we had bunk beds, and I knelt down by my bunk bed and I prayed, and I knew that I'd experienced. Jesus, that he'd come into my life, forgiven my sins, and that I was, I'd started this relationship. And I can remember going back to the kitchen the next day and them saying, um, well, we must buy your Bible. I thought, why do I need a Bible? I know now. I've got it. Why would I want a Bible? So I, I had a lot to learn. So uh, they helped me get a Bible and then they suggested that we all gathered sort of to pray for me. And I think that was probably the most awkward thing that had ever happened. I'd never oh, been prayed for loud and with everyone around me. Breadcrumbs all over their hands as they were laying hands y- on you. and <laughs> I was dying. I mean, it wasn't the most wonderful spiritual experience. I no. was just l- longing for it to be over. But I'm sure it was a very important part of my journey. Mm, a humbling one, if, if nothing uh, else. Definitely a humbling one.
4: <laughs> and amazing, though, isn't it, how God can move with that situation of being in a garage. Yes. You know, uh, it's kind of, you know, back to kind of this idea of, you know, children's yes. nativities in a stable, this thing, yes. sense of in this sort of simple place, yeah. uh, far away from the superficiality yes. of what you've been living, God, yes. God was able
0: to break yes. through. And I, I suppose in a way it was like early stage, not dissimilar from Alfred, it was people gathering to eat food together and to talk about their faith and that was a safe easy relaxed environment so it was like the pre-runner the the forerunner of Alpha that came along many years later. Amazing how later. God was sort of laying the foundations
4: there in that experience for, for what's to come with Alpha. Yes. So at this point you said you were sort of previously been running, running away from Nicky so had you been in contact with him since?
0: I don't think I had but I started working or I was definitely going to the this place called the kitchen regularly, and he came back from university and went along because obviously he heard that this was you know fun young place to, for young Christians to hang out, and my name was the top the first name in the book, oh, and so then we sort of re met up.
4: Yeah, so. As things went on, did, did you realise that maybe he wasn't quite the
0: uh, bizarre person that you thought, strange man, throwing it is, these tracks around? It's so funny because I thought what had happened to me in London was totally different from what had happened to him, but then yeah. I began to understand in the context, it started to make sense that he was just passionate about wanting to spread the good news, which is not a bad thing, it's just how you do it that's
4: important yeah. So at this point, obviously, this is all a whole new experience for you. You say you weren't really sure about the need for the Bible and so on. Did you have sort of plans for your future, what you wanted in your life?
0: No, I don't think I had any plans at all. I had no idea what I would do or where I would go. And I certainly would never have seen myself as a vicar's wife all these years later. God's sense of (laughs) humour. Definitely. (laughs) As you entered into a relationship
4: with Nicky, did you realise over time that perhaps this was the life that you were going to have, or was it again
0: something that was a bit of a surprise as things unfolded? Well, I knew he was passionate about ministry, and particularly about uh, wanting to to bring people to Christ, and for people to understand and have a relationship with, with Jesus. But he was doing his law exams, and his bar finals, and then a pupillage, so... I was marrying a student lawyer, mm. and so I didn't know what direction we were going. I had no idea what direction we were going, but we were very involved with the church even then. So he was, we was, we joined HTB by that stage. We were running a small group in our ho- home. We were involved on Sundays. So in some ways, it was a natural progression. And I, I often I think, although there are huge pressures about of being a clergy wife and being part of that ministry. Uh, you know, Nicky if he'd stayed at the bar would have had to work terribly hard, which he did. Mm-hmm. And quite often he would come back and we'd have the the home group coming for arriving for supper, and he'd have been given a brief just as he'd left, and he'd have to go up, upstairs and work in the bedroom and say, I'm so sorry, I can't come, you know, it's the Bible, so you'll have to just do it, you know, and there were pressures like that. You you couldn't rely on going away or having a weekend off, so there were huge pressures if he'd stayed there. So you have different pressures when you're past the ch- church, but the privilege is that we do it together, and mm. I think that is such a wonderful opportunity to work together.
4: Yeah, amazing. I mean, not many married couples get to do that, except outside yeah. of the context of ministry, yeah. and to be able to share that is, is quite a privilege, as you say. Of course, when your children
0: came along, did the dynamics of it all change, though? Well, I think then you have to ba- balance um, how much work in the, mi- uh, you know, the ministry. Different things kick in at that time, and we were al- always involved with small groups and alpha and uh, women's groups and things that were happening in the day around the children and but obviously you have to make sacrifices of what you can be involved in and I think that's part of growing up as well you know realizing how blessed you are to have children the worst would be going on a sort of weekend where there was ministry going on and wishing you were in the meeting and having to look (laughs) after the children it is I worked out it was much better to think if I get into some of the ministry that's great mm. but otherwise go and just enjoy the children if you try and do both you feel torn you're never happy wherever you are you're feeling guilty wherever you are <laughs> so actually mm. just to decide you're going to go and do the children and that's great and then anything else is a bonus yeah. so yes there's more juggling and obviously you know evenings are complicated as they get older and the demands of the church you have to balance that and there were certainly times when the children were getting a little bit older and they were around a lot, when we realised it actually wasn't good to have too many meetings in the house, the children actually needed a bit of quiet, they needed the, the home to be their own and not just to have endless people pouring in. So I think you have to go on reassessing. We made so many mistakes. If I did it all over again, I would do it completely differently.
4: (laughs) Well, that's interesting, because, I mean, obviously it sounds like you did make some wise choices along the way. For example, realising the children needed a distinction between home and meetings, but you still think there are other things you would have done differently? I think there are plenty I would have done differently. So obviously, as this journey progresses, and you both take on new roles within the context of HDB, more responsibility, the church has really grown, I mean, beyond all proportion, you know, it's almost a sort of an organisation really within lots of other organisation networks and so on. Do you think that actually that's because you both had vision or just because God has somehow
0: just just allowed this to unfold? Who knows, God, I think God has been very gracious to us. I think he's also raised up people with passions for all sorts of things. So Nikki and Silla Lee are passionate about family life. And, you know, they live, breathe, dream family life and that is what who they are. And they are so good at pioneering all that. And it's lovely to be able to see them blossoming in that, all the things that they've written, all the courses, the books, Uh, that they're that they work on and they go on believing in that and then seeing Paul Cowley being raised up and seeing him of what he's done I mean it is the most extraordinary story someone like Paul growing up in a an estate with no education having been in prison himself now running the second largest prison ministry in the whole world it is I mean, sometimes you just have to stand back with your mouth open and think, wow, God, you are amazing. And and he, and Paul is a strong character, so he's, you know, driving forth there and, and so good because he never rests. And Nicky's like that too. He's always for moving forward. He's always for the next church plant or the next whatever it is. And that's part of the character he is. Um, but it's God has been kind and raised up people to enable us. I mean, we couldn't do any of it on our, on our own.
4: Yeah, and I think that's the, the good thing that we need to be reminded of, that it is, it is God's work, and, uh, and it's, it's just us simply offering what we've got and allowing God to do what he will, will with oh, it. Definitely. Now, some people looking from the outside in, Pippa, might be looking at yourself and looking, thinking, wow, they must have their whole life sorted. Everything must be, must be rosy. I'm sure they've never had any struggles or challenges. Uh, what would you say to that?
0: I think we're just very normal people. Everyone, sadly, has the same, I think most people have the same issues in in life. We all get sick, we all get exhausted, we all have issues, misunderstandings, those sort of things that are just normal life, disappointments, friends going through awful times, all those things, there are things in our lives that are terribly sad and you have to find your faith in those moments and hold on but i th- so i think we're pretty normal really
4: that yeah. is <laughs> sort of almost living out your faith fairly in the sort of public eye it's sort of a double edged sword both a blessing and a burden at the same time
0: i think it's very easy to sort of forget that you are uh, and i i often forget that people know us when uh, even in the congregation now it's so difficult to know everybody it is it's so big and it, wonderful! We've travelled all in all sorts of places and done conferences in around America, around Asia, around Africa, everywhere. We've seen the world, and that's such a privilege to see what God is doing everywhere. And there are wonderful people, faithful people, all over the world. The church is still alive, and love being part of that. But I meet people who sort of say, "Do you remember me? We met in Ohio." <laughs> I'm thinking I don't even remember no. Ohio which is just so yes. so awful and I wish I did better I'm not very good on people's names and faces so it it is very hard to remember everybody and remember who where you've been and what you've done, <laughs> I should catalogue it much yeah. better. <laughs> well, that would take a lot
4: of time, wouldn't it, to make a note of all of that. But I think that, I guess, is part of the nature, isn't it, of, of, of being involved in some sort of international ministry, that you are going to meet a lot of people, have a lot of encounters. Are there maybe one or two people that stand out on your journeys you've travelled around? In fact, it's a difficult question because there's so many people you would have met, some you remember more, some you remember others. People that stand out and you just think, yes,
0: you're an inspiration to me. I think many people, many people, um when we were last in Zimbabwe, and were there, and just saw that the church has survived such a difficult time. There were many people. There was a woman who had who had just started a charity in one of the hospitals, because during, I think it was um, the very bad times, obviously it's improved a little bit now, but of course the infrastructure is still very bad. There was so few resources for children's wards, so she's just started a little charity even if they're just bringing toys in and clean clothes, for, uh, just helping in the local hospital, because they had practically no resources there at all. I think she said there was only one kidney machine in the whole of the country. Wow. Um, and you, you, the whole sort of infrastructure was breaking down of health. And so, And I mean, very sad, so by the time people were coming in, because nobody was picking it up in the in the countryside, the children often with horrible growths, things that nothing nobody would do, tumours that, side. But she was in the hospital, just bringing some love and normality. And I just thought, you're an amazing woman. So she is one that I remember doing an extraordinary thing. But there are so many in Africa, in India. We have yeah, two of our children live in India, so they're doing working out in various. Doing wonderful work out there. It is inspiring that so many people around the world that never ever get thanked or noticed are faithfully looking after children in a slum in Africa or wherever it is. Mm. Is it a relief to you, mention
4: the children there, that they've sort of almost come out the other side into adulthood and they are, you know, serving and doing
0: things for God? Is that a relief that you've kind of got them through that, <laughs> that phase now? <laughs> I feel very blessed in in many ways. Not that you don't go on uh, worrying. Of course, we're not allowed of course, to worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, praying, I know what you mean, yes. Praying praying yes. for them because actually the choices they make, the decisions are just uh, are bigger when they're around the world. And having two living in India, there are plenty of things to pray about. I can sort imagine. Safety, health, <laughs> yes. all sorts of things. And dealing with... Quite complicated issues. Um, our daughter's working for an organisation called Justice and Care, and they are, um, deal with rescuing young women and sometimes children from prostitution and being trafficked in, and that's a pretty full-on job. And so, I think I well, I definitely pray for her quite a lot. You know, is life easier that she's now out in India doing these terrifying things? No, probably not. when she was three and <laughs> yes. going to nursery school. I don't know. It's just different. Yes. Well, you but never stop being a parent, do you? You never stop being a parent. But I'm so grateful to God that he has brought them through, that we might have done lots of things wrong as parents, which I'm sure we did. And I'm sure they're having to sort out, have counselling for all the things we did wrong. But that they all you know, are passionate about their faith. And they're serving Jesus in whichever ways they can. Mm. And and that, for me, is deeply humbling. In fact, they're far more radical and have a far more amazing faith than, uh, than I do. And I'm just amazed by them. Now,
4: obviously, all of this, you know, this life of faith is not possible without prayer. And, of course, big part of HTB is, uh, is prayer, of course, now, 24-7 prayer. For you, is that really the key to to everything? That if we get prayer right, we
0: understand prayer, then then everything else just slots into place. Prayer is hugely important and something that I need to do more and more of.
4: <laughs> I guess we'd all say that when we New Year's re- resolutions, everybody could it's say, pray, pray, more. "Pray more," isn't it? Yeah, it's
0: <laughs> pray more and get fit. It's usually yeah, like well, it you too, do? isn't it? <laughs> um, and praying, you know, uh, it's definitely an enemy who robs us of our time. We love the twenty four seven prayer. Pete Gregg is an inspiration. He makes prayer meetings so much fun. I just love being at any any prayer meeting that he <laughs> runs. Yeah. And having the 24/7 um prayer room open. Of course, yes. Is extraordinary. It does have the most uh, wonderful atmosphere there. And of course, God is everywhere. And I I mean, I like to pray and walk sometimes. I find that quite helpful. I get a bit distracted in the house because I can see all the things that need doing. It's the trouble, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but getting out sometimes and just going and walking is lovely. But actually mm. going to the prayer room is amazing. You can just sense the atmosphere. And it's a horrible hut that we have. The They've made it as nice as they possibly can, but it is only in this hut mm. that the prayer room is it has the presence of god there do you find that
4: for you you're constantly learning from the people you're meeting the things you're doing because i mean obviously although htb and anglican heritage a lot of work through alpha and so on done with all different church denominations so has that been quite a learning process for you it's been wonderful
0: absolutely wonderful love it all what we have worked with with all the denominations across the world when we've learned so much from the catholics we uh, love those we've had um father enrico cantomelessa speaking at our conferences he's going to come again um to the leadership conference not this year but next he couldn't come this year and he wants to come the year after although he's in his 80s well, he has taught us so much he's written amazing books his friendship is so humbling and we had cardinal schönburg at the leadership conference of course yes this year And again, I'm so humbled. A cardinal, a Catholic cardinal, comes to an Anglican conference at the Albert Hall with very loud music (laughs) and loves it. Mm. And he was so godly. He looked like Jesus. We all just sort of looked at him and wanted to be like him. Everyone sort of fell in love with him. And he was sitting next to me and we were listening to the worship, which was quite loud, and I did say to him, um, are we deafening you and he said it's so exciting and I I I find it just so beautiful. deeply humbling so mm-hmm. we've got the friendships with the Catholics and then we've got friendships with Hillsong we've been down to the Hillsong conference Nikki's spoken there we're great friends there I think their music their worship is fa- is wonderful I love the fact that we can work with all these different people mm. and many of the churches um, across England we get together we have a group that meet once a year some of the big churches across, across um, England and some of them are Anglican most of them aren't and they're all good friends and we're in it together and that's fantastic. I think certainly from my experience of
4: travelling around there, there seems to be a, a real grace of kind of ecumenism here in the UK uh, like I've not seen anywhere else would you agree with that? Definitely.
0: I think that's changed probably over the years. It's grown and grown. Um, but even John Wimber, when he came back in all those years, always did a conference with everybody. And I think even Billy Graham before that had Catholics, which was unusual on his committee yes. for evangelism. So we, I, I think it's really worked. I think in some of the other countries, like I'm no expert, so I couldn't judge, but certainly here... It has changed. The, the barriers have come down. And I think if you ask most people at HTB, you, know, uh, you know, are you an Anglican? They wouldn't have a clue they would not have a clue what it's interesting
4: meant. actually yes a lot of I think a lot of people in different churches whether they're Pentecostal or whatever might not necessarily know the history of where their church has come from yeah. or even what the denomination stands for I and mean, yeah. uh, perhaps a sign that maybe there is this sort of greater sense of well we're all Christians just express our worship in slightly different ways yeah. so obviously we've we've been on this journey with you Pippa and we we've seen so many different aspects of your life and and I think it's just been a great comfort to people to realise that actually, you know, God can call someone to, into international ministry and yet they can be, for a better word, kind of just living an ordinary life, you know, that God can take anybody, do incredible things with them. Now, mm. if there's anyone listening this morning and they're thinking, wow, you know, this is amazing what God's done with Pippa, it's amazing what God's do- done with Nikki, how can I be maybe obedient to what God's calling me to do?
0: What would you say to that? Well, I think the fact that God has used me... um is extraordinary. I I love the verse, um, his power is made perfect in weakness Um, because I have great weaknesses. I would never have seen myself as a church leader or a leader of anything and I, you know, I'm not a church leader but I don't know really how I've ended up doing what I've done. And I remember the first time Nikki got me to even sort of say hello at something. I nearly died of fright and I sort of shook for hours. Like um, Paul, coming in fear and trembling. <laughs> definitely in fear of, uh, of trembling. So I still find it extraordinary that, and it's taken me a long time. So I think the wonderful thing is you, it's never, you're never too late. You know, not to worry whatever stage of life you're in. And I've seen many of my friends in later stages of their life having new ministries of suddenly the children have gone and suddenly they are doing wonderful things. I met a woman in her 60s who went on holiday in India. Uh, she was grandmother and um, I think her, you know, her children gone, whatever. And she has started a ministry. She's partnered with a, a pastor out there and she's partnered with him and they are rescuing street children. She started doing that. She's a grandmother, she goes around on a a scooter and she sort of takes children out of dustbins and takes them back. And they've started house after house. They've started with one house or she just took it back to her home to start off with. And now they've started schools and houses but with this um, amazing Indian pastor. And she was just a grandmother in her 60s going on holiday and decided she could do something sort of a little bit more radical. So I think God uses the unlikely and i whatever gifts that you have and i haven't got any obvious gifts i haven't got great qualifications in in anything and yet god has been kind enough to put me in a in a position in a church that is so surprising so i think wherever you are in life god can use you and he can use you even more than you can ever imagine And occasionally we need to be a little bit braver and step out a little bit more and believe that God can use us even more. And just follow what things that you like doing and you may find that God will surprise you. Well, on that note, encouraging note, we'll leave it there. Pippa, thank you so much for joining us and sharing
4: some of your life story and what God's been doing in your life. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales. You were listening to my colleague Maria Rodriguez in conversation with Pippa Gumble. I do hope you enjoyed that interview. We dug it out of the archives just for you. That's all we've got time for on the show today, but don't forget, if you want to hear more great interviews like those, then why not download The Profile as a podcast, absolutely free of charge, and that will give you access to well over 100 different interviews the team here at Premier have done with leading Christians from across the world and from all walks of life. If you want to check that out, just search for The Profile, wherever you normally get your podcasts from, or go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. This show, The Profile, is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. That's the UK's leading Christian magazine. It's published every month, features interviews, news, reviews, columnists, and fascinating features on all sorts of different topics, all from a Christian perspective. If you'd like to have a look at the magazine, we're offering you a free copy. Just go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. All you have to do is put your address in and we will send you a free print copy of the latest edition direct to your front door premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample that's our free gift to you today do take advantage of that and we will see you next time